How's everyone doing today? Yep. Oh, good. We're, we're live. Uh, new mercies. It's good to be here uh, together with whatever else is going on. Before we continue into the book of Mark, I just wanted to raise the question. And that, what if we've missed the point of being a Christian? It seems like if we're really involved in something, we should make sure we're, we're doing it right. What if we've been carrying on and we've been doing it wrong all this time? I think in the book of Mark, it raises some of these questions for us. Uh, last week, we looked at, at Jesus' offer of the kingdom. The way into the kingdom is to, is to repent and to believe. Uh, Jesus came with this, this grand offer, the kingdom is at hand, the time is fulfilled, repent and believe. And that's how we come into, into God's family, into God's kingdom, through repenting and believing. Well, the problem, as just alluded to last week, is sometimes uh, we're only thinking out in the future. Like Christianity is primarily just about where I go when I die. It's like the best fire insurance policy ever. And sometimes we, we think of Christianity in terms of, I asked Jesus into my heart, so I will go to heaven when I die. And that's the sum of how we view the Christian faith. And in the meantime, we try to be good. We kind of add that to it as well. But this terminology is really kind of foreign to the Bible. In fact, even the word Christian is rarely used in the Bible, and it's probably more of a derogatory term that others used about Christians. Oh, oh they're, they're, Christ, they're little Christs, you know, little Christ followers, Christettes or something. And, uh, but the, primarily the terminology is more like these people followed Jesus. Uh, the, the way of Christ is described in terms of discipleship not in terms of where you go when you die, although that's obviously an enormous part of it. I think sometimes we feel pretty clear on how to get to heaven, but we get a little more confused about what we're supposed to do until then, about the road of discipleship. So I think we see in Mark's gospel, uh, he addresses two questions. These are maybe two big themes throughout uh, the book of Mark, and that is, who is Jesus? It's not what you may have thought. And what does it mean to follow Jesus? Also, not what you think. <laughs> and so Mark really challenges us in both of these ways. So perhaps you may have prayed a prayer or made some profession of faith or on the survey, the religious survey, you checked the Christian box, but you may be totally missing out on what Jesus has actually <laughs> called you to. And that's what we'd like to talk about this morning. I'm going to suggest, and this is our main uh, idea for the day, is that Jesus' invitation to discipleship calls for a response. Discipleship is not something detached and separate from his call to, um, to be in his family. They go hand in hand. They're intertwined together. And Mark's whole gospel is about discipleship. Uh, we see in chapter 1, uh, we'll see today, how Jesus calls his disciples We'll see in chapter 16 how he sends his disciples to make disciples. And that's kind of the, the caps on both ends of the book. The narrative is obviously about Jesus, but it's also very much about his disciples. One um, Bible scholar, R.T. France, he says about the book of Mark, Jesus appears in the narrative constantly accompanied by his disciples. And their training and development will be one of the main focuses of the story. They may and often will fail and disappoint him. 
But their role is critical to the achievement of his mission. For it is through this flawed and vulnerable group of people that God's kingship will be established. Then he goes on to say, And it is in tracing their development of the disciples as Jesus' disciples, both in its success and in its more frequent failures, that Mark will expect his readers to find the basis, whether by example or warning, for their own discipleship. Okay, I realize that's kind of a long quote, but the basic gist of it is, by watching the disciples in the book of Mark, we learn how to be disciples. When we watch Jesus make disciples, we learn how to make disciples. So in Mark, when we see Jesus, uh, this pattern of how he makes disciples, here is the importance of it. Two, two things that are critical for us as we, uh, as we watch the pattern of Jesus making disciples. And the first is, the way Jesus made disciples is the same way that we become disciples. So we watch what Jesus does here in this, in this account, and we say, oh, that's how I too am supposed to respond to Jesus. That's what it means to follow Jesus. But secondly, the way Jesus made disciples is the exact same way that we make disciples. <laughs> we follow his example even in this. Okay, so here's, here's the setting. We start off the book with this um, really glorious uh, prologue of epic proportions. We are introduced to who uh, Jesus is. He's, he's the Christ, the anointed one. He's, the, he's divine. He's the son of God. And then we see in the prologue... Um, um, how he comes and he starts to fulfill the prophecies. And then we see him come in and start his ministry, and he makes this huge um, pronouncement. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And I think anybody reading this book, especially for the first time, is prepared now to see something really epic take place on a national scale, maybe a cosmic scale. What is going to take place in what we see is uh, something rather different, <laughs> something rather unexpected. So this morning's passage will be uh, chapter 1 of Mark, and we'll start in verse 16. In those Bibles in front of you, it's on page 836 if you want to follow along. Rather than something cosmic or of national significance, verse 16 says this, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. The chosen one arrives. The Son of God arrives on scene to establish his eternal kingdom, and he goes fishing. It's like, how curious. Or more accurately, he goes and hangs out with people who were fishing. And so this is how, this is the beginning of this pattern that's repeated about how Jesus makes disciples. And, and here's how it starts. First, Jesus simply saw the disciples. Jesus took notice of ordinary people. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. Uh, the Sea of Galilee, uh, some of you have been there. Who's been to Galilee? Wow, this, that's incredible. We have a lot of people who've been there. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. It's about the size of, uh, of Lake Tahoe, you know, so it's a, it's a significant-sized lake, but not exactly a sea. Um, but uh, anyway, Galilee, the northern region of, of Palestine, it's, it's not the center of power. It's not the center of academia. It's not the center of religion. You know, it's not Rome. It's not Alexandria. It's not Jerusalem. It's just where regular people 
lived, and worked. And that's where Jesus went first. Then it says, passing by the sea, he saw Simon and Andrew. Jesus took notice of two ordinary guys just about their business. They were casting a net into the sea. And why were they casting a net into the sea? Mark tells us they were doing that because they were fishermen. So it's kind of important because they're not doing it as a hobby or a sport, as some of us might do. Uh, I went fishing this weekend, but not catching, but uh, I went fishing. So these are guys who their business is, is fishing, and Jesus calls them to something entirely different. He calls them to be an apprentice, to come out of their occupation that they're in and to follow Jesus. Uh, Jesus is often called a rabbi, and he doesn't uh, refuse that term, uh, teacher, like these rabbis that would gather um, kind of a following, and they would come and learn from, from him. So in a sense, he's a rabbi. He is the teacher. He's the master teacher. But he's not an ordinary rabbi, because the other rabbis, uh, people would come to them and see if they made the cut. Like, well, oh, will you take me as a student? But Jesus is the other way around. He goes, and he finds people that would have never made the cut, And he invites them to be part of what he's doing. God notices you. He notices me. uh, And it has nothing to do with our credentials. Thank the Lord for that. In fact, Ephesians uh, 1 verse 4 says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He noticed us before we did anything to deserve his attention. He simply noticed us. So following Jesus, discipleship, it's not self-improvement, and it's certainly not self-initiated. It starts with Jesus. It has nothing to do with what we have done. Sometimes um, a, a celebrity, you know, a sports figure, or, or maybe a, an actor, actress, will, will become a follower of Jesus. They'll make some kind of profession of faith. And, uh, and oftentimes the church wants to just jump on that and say, oh, we could parade them around, we'll get them at, you know, we'll have them speak at our things, and isn't that fabulous? Or we look at somebody who seems like in the world's eyes has, has really made it, and we say, oh, if God only got a hold of that person, you know, think what they could do for the church. And it seems that Jesus doesn't think about along those terms at all. He just notices regular people. If you are a candidate for following Jesus in all your obscurity, <laughs> all your frailty, all your uh, poor track record, Jesus notices you. Also, if you've really made something of yourself, you're, you have made a lot of money, you've made a lot of fame, you, you influence a lot of people, a ton of people report to you, you also are a candidate for discipleship. But Jesus just says it's going to be a little harder for you, <laughs> like going through the eye of a needle on a camel. Uh, That sounds quite hard. Fortunately, with God, all things are possible. So this is how the journey of discipleship starts. Jesus notices ordinary people like you and me. But he doesn't just notice. Secondly, Jesus invited. Jesus initiated the relationship of discipleship. Verse 17 says, And Jesus said to them, this is to the fishermen, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. 
which is an invitation, and it's also a promise. The invitation is simply, follow me. Uh, Real literally, the words are here, behind me. It's like, come on, get in line. Let's let's go. It is sort of a technical expression that means to um, be one's disciple, to be an apprentice to somebody. The invitation is more than just come and learn. It's come and be a full-time apprentice. (laughs) And so the, the invitation is to come and be an apprentice, and the promise is what? I will make you to become. We respond to to Christ's call of discipleship, and he does the transforming in us along the way. He's at work in shaping us more and more like the image of his son. But the essence of that is, is what? He will make you to become fishers of men. Well, obviously, he's just, you know, he's talking to, to anglers, you know, commercial fishermen, so he's using fishing terminology. But making fishers of men, that means what he's transforming you to be is a disciple maker. Not, discipleship is not this body of information to uh, assimilate, but it means God transforms you in order that you will pour into the lives of others and make disciples. The way Jesus made disciples is the way he expected them and us to make disciples. And it's this repeated process, disciples making disciples who make disciples. Uh, just a reminder, this is one of the essential habits we talked about recently. One of the basic habits of someone who follows Jesus is that they go tell the good news to others so that others might follow Jesus. This is a theme we'll see over and over again. So discipleship is not a body of knowledge. It's being transformed in such a way that you too will be a disciple maker. A friend of mine has a lot to say on this subject, uh, Jeremy, Dr. Clark. Uh, he actually has his doctorate in discipleship. This is, yeah, you can tell, I just showed this picture because I want to show that I rode motorcycles in Mexico. But uh, anyway, that's, uh, that's Jeremy and, uh, and me and uh, my brother and some other people uh, riding down in Mexico. Uh, it would have been great to bring an actual medical doctor on the trip, not just a doctor of of um, theology. Oh, we brought one of those too, uh, Dr. Ephantides. But anyway, the story is to tell you that Jeremy did his doctoral work in discipleship. He knows a great deal about this topic. And so since I'm studying Mark and it's a lot about discipleship, I emailed him this week and said, hey, you shared some things about discipleship a while back. Can you send those to me? So he sent me his thesis. It's like 250 pages. Like, wow, is there certain parts I should you know, focus on. Um, so he knows a ton about discipleship. And I can't, I can't think of a better thing to, uh, you know, invest in academically than understanding uh, discipleship. But Jeremy would be the first to tell you that a discipleship is not an academic thing. <laughs> it's not a, a body of knowledge. It's being transformed to be a disciple maker. Um, my grandfather Tells me this, told me the story. Uh, my grandfather's in heaven now. But uh, he was in uh, World War II, and he was a, a Jeep uh, mechanic in the South Pacific. And they sent out, um, or he was in the motor pool in South Pacific. They sent out this expert uh, Jeep mechanic uh, to, to join their, their uh, group there. And, uh, and my grandfather uh, said, oh, you need to go into you know, this other village and pick up these things and take this Jeep. And the expert Jeep uh, mechanic 
did not know how to drive. And so someone was an expert in a field. He's like, I've never driven uh, a Jeep before or a, a vehicle before. And so he gave him kind of a crash course in that. We never want to make discipleship like that where we, oh, we know all the answers. We can quote the scriptures. But we are not actually learning and experiencing making disciples. We uh, are the experts and we can't even uh, drive. This would be a sad uh, situation to get into. Discipleship is not about more information, but it's about more emulation <laughs> of being like Jesus. This is what he has invited us to. So sometimes we compliment um, people in the church like, oh, he's a Bible scholar, or she really knows the word, or um, you know, these phrases like this, um, oh, he really, he really knows his scripture well. These can be seen as right up here and not right here and living out being disciple makers. Jesus invites. He initiates the relationship. But I feel like I should clarify because sometimes when we dwell on the fact that Jesus is the inviter, we get confused about our role. And we see in this story, Jesus went and picked certain people and said, uh, you follow me, uh, you follow me. Well, if that's how Jesus does it, it raises two questions. One is, how do I know I'm invited if Jesus invites certain people? Well, in all of Scripture, when the gospel is presented, it's presented in a way that nobody ever asks that question of, uh, is this for me? No, the invitation is open to be received. If you're wondering, hey, I wonder if God is calling me to follow him. Well, if you're wondering, then the answer you can assume is yes, he is calling you to follow him. The second question it might raise in our minds is, well, how do we know who else to invite if God has chosen some? Uh, Mark answers this uh, really simply for us. He says at the end of the book, Jesus says, to his disciples, will go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So go to everybody and tell everybody the good news. See, it's not even our concern to try to figure out who God has invited. We're supposed to tell everybody. So Jesus first, he sees, he notices regular people like you, like me, and then he initiates the relationship by inviting. So what is the disciples part in this verse 18 and immediately the response is they left their nets disciples discipleship requires leaving something we might say the disciples released their grip on their formal pursuit of life they left their nets you know their livelihood their career, their identity. Remember, fishing was not their hobby. It was what, you know, who they were. We come, by, we come to Christ by faith. That's a decisive transfer of trust. I'm no longer trusting myself. I'm no longer just trusting, you know, what I've been told by my parents or whatever. I'm placing my trust in Christ. It's a transfer of, of trust, a transfer of allegiance. That's how we come into the family of God. But it's also the way we live as disciples, a continual transfer of, of trust to depend on Christ. Because we tend to trust certain things to just feel 
you know, right about ourselves in life, um, for significance, for a sense of security and safety, a sense of meaning or identity. And we think that all these different pursuits will secure that for ourselves. Whether it's, you know, having our, our bank account situated or having this certain relationship is going to work out or being in a certain condition of health. And Jesus says, you got to release your grip on those things and, and just trust Christ alone. Following Jesus involves relinquishing our grip on these other pursuits. Simon and Andrew, they left their nets. James and John, they left their family. Levi left his tax booth. They all left something to follow Jesus. In our home, we grew up pretty much vacations meant we went water skiing. And so we had, we had this old boat and we go water skiing a lot. Um, I've probably, I don't know, taught maybe a dozen people to water ski over, over the years. My dad's probably taught literally hundreds of students to water ski, being at different um, uh, church uh, river trips and such. And the repeated process you see over and over and over, if any of you water ski, you could probably relate. Every newbie to water skiing wants to pull themselves up when the boat takes off. And so you give this little speech beforehand. You say, okay, what you got to do is keep your knees bent, um, put your arms out straight, just kind of relax down in the water and hold on tight and the boat will pull you up. Okay, you got it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, go back and forth. And then, then you, you hit it, you take off, they pull themselves up and fall over, and then you wrap back around and... You say, well, um, here's what went wrong there is that you pulled yourself up when the boat pulled you. Okay, okay, I got it. And then you go and you repeat that, and that's, that's what most people do when they learn to water ski. They pull themselves up and they crash. They either get too far over or they pull themselves up and they scoot underneath, and they don't believe that just the boat is going to do it. <laughs> and that's how, we, that's how we do in life. Yeah, we believe, okay, Jesus is enough, but I won't really be happy unless I kind of have this thing too, and this works out right, and this is a certain way. And we trust in these other things. So discipleship is saying, okay, release your grip on that thing. Trust in Christ alone. Sometimes when you're teaching people to water ski, you come across a really strong uh, guy. It's usually a guy who would do this. Um, who, can, who thinks they're water skiing just because they're strong enough to keep holding on to the rope even though they're not actually water skiing. So the boat's still going. They might be thrashing around. They might be just being drugged behind the boat. But by sheer willpower, they're making it happen. And they think, I'm just going to grab onto this. Like we, we chase something in life to be um, a, a pursuit that it thinks will make something of us, that will make us happy, etc. And we'll just destroy everything around us trying to hold on to that thing. And again, Jesus is saying, let, let go. I can pull you up just fine. Similarly, uh, repelling um, that I've talked about this before. The scariest part when you're first climbing and repelling is you get to the top and then you have to lean back and trust the rope and kind of go your feet to the wall like this. And the initial instinct is, no, I want to cling onto the wall and have the rope hold me. I want both. And what happens then is you just get your face drug along the rock. And so that's what it's like when we say, yeah, I trust Christ. Uh, he's going to take care of this, but I also want to grab onto all these other things. I want to hold it all. I want to cling to it all because that's where I'll really have life. But no, he says, leave, leave the nets. Come, follow me. This could, you know, in, in real life play out a lot of different ways. I saw this in, um, in a guy, his name was Craig. I went to high school with him. Uh, he was just ultimate cool kid, uh, water polo team, 
and uh, just kind of seemed to, he's the kind of guy that was like, yeah, that guy is really awesome. He was, he was dating this girl, uh, Jen. Maybe I shouldn't tell all their names. I won't tell last names. It was a big town. Um, and uh, Craig became a follower of Jesus. He knew that relationship he had with Jen was, uh, was not honoring to God, and so he walked away from that. Well, there were guys lined up to take his place with, with Jen. Um, she came across as something very special, um, but uh, actually she was in one of my geometry classes. She was in my geometry class, and she's telling me the story about Craig and how uh, Craig dumped her. But I knew just a little bit about the other side of the story and thinking, man, um, Craig, good job. <laughs> you did something really hard for the sake of following Christ. You let go of something that, you know, a bunch of the other guys would be like, I would never let that go, and he let that go for the sake of Christ. That's, that's discipleship. Does discipleship necessarily mean... Um, a vow of poverty, <laughs> a vow of celibacy, uh, leaving all these things? Uh, no. In, in fact, in the Gospels, we see that the disciples still had access to a boat, so they must have not just, you know, got rid of the whole business entirely. They still had a family connection of some kind. The point is that we release our grip on it. We release our grip as that's what's going to uh, make us okay. We're not going to be okay if I don't have that thing. And if something in your life feels that way, you need to hold it with open hands before God to be a disciple. Uh, here's a little acronym I learned probably as a kid. Uh, faith is forsaking all, I trust him. Just a little way to remember what's involved in faith. It's not just an intellectual consent of, oh, yes, I agree with these facts. No, it's a forsaking all and plunging head first into Jesus, so to speak. But it's not really about what's left behind. It's about what is ahead. And so verse 18 says, And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. The essence of the Christian life is to be a follower of Jesus. They followed. And by this, I mean the disciples dwelt with him. They actually physically followed him around. They mimicked him, and they obeyed him. And that's what an apprenticeship is like. You go and you spend time, you see how things are done, you follow the example, like you do it just like the master does it, and you also do what he says. So in Mark, this is what we see the disciples doing. They just spend time with Jesus, they mimicked him, they obeyed him. Uh, Dwelling with Jesus sounds a whole lot like, flashback again, our essential habit of thriving. How do you dwell with Jesus? How do you abide? How do you remain in relational proximity to Jesus? Well, it's through uh, his word and prayer and worship. The more we just spend time ingesting the scriptures, spend time talking to God, uh, worship can just be seen as just thinking uh, true thoughts about God. Um, the more we just contemplate that relationship and live in the middle of it, that's just being with Jesus. You are dwelling with Jesus when you do that. How about uh, mimicking Jesus? The disciples followed Jesus around and tried to do what he did. They a lot of times failed. You know, sometimes they did better than others. Um, we've had this little fad here where we wear the WWJD bracelets. You've seen these? Sure. I just picture Jesus handing these out to the disciples. Um, 
asking, hey, uh, Peter, where's your uh, WWJD bracelet? You know, what would, what would Jesus do? And I can picture Peter saying, yeah, we were wearing them, but we literally have no idea what you're going to do. So uh, we gave up on those bracelets. Because we see in Mark, they're constantly confused about what Jesus is going to do. They're constantly astonished, like, oh, I didn't see that coming. But as they spent time with him, as they, um, as they dwelt with him, then we see through the book, they learn more and more of what Jesus would do, and then they can mimic Jesus. And, and that third thing is, is they, they obeyed him. An apprentice, above all, better do what the master asks. <laughs> and uh, Jesus describes it this way when he tells the parable of the sower. You know, there's different kinds of hearts, different kinds of people, and how they respond to God's word. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. The ones who are truly disciples of Jesus are the ones who don't just hear God's word, but they actually internalize it and and live it out. They obey it. One of my professors in um, in college, he actually was a homiletics uh, professor. He taught uh, preaching. And uh, one of his heroes was uh, Haddon Robinson, who... Um, who passed away about a year ago, I think. And he taught homiletics at Gordon-Conwell uh, Seminary for, for many years. Um, well, Dr. Edwards really respected him and thought a lot about him. So he actually went and moved in with uh, Haddon Robinson and his wife. He, he lived with them and, uh, you know, kind of sat by the master, you know, learned, learned the ways of uh, Haddon Robinson. And, uh, and that's what Jesus is asking us to do. Come dwell with him. Spend time with me. Get to know me, respond to me, obey me. Discipleship requires this this response of following Jesus. Dwelling with, mimicking, obeying. This was Jesus' method of making disciples of Simon and Andrew. And next we read how he made disciples of James and John. You might notice a similar pattern, uh, verse 19. And going on a little further, he what? He saw, see in our pattern here, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, and they were mending nets. And immediately he, what? He called them. And then what did they do? They, they left. They left their father in the boat with the hired servants, and they, what? And they followed him. So exact same pattern. And then in the next chapter, we see the exact same thing with Levi. Verse uh, 14 of chapter 2 says, As Jesus passed by, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said, follow me. You know, he gave the invite. And Levi rose, leaving the stuff behind, and he followed him. Okay, so remember why this pattern is so important. We see it repeated in Mark It's important because it's the same way we become disciples. It's not pray a prayer and go to heaven. It's follow in behind the master. Let our life be completely shaped by him. To daily uh, release our grip on the things that we think will bring us life and cling tightly to Jesus, our master. That's, That's what we need to do, just what the disciples did. Drop it and follow Jesus. But also, it's because this is the same way that we make disciples. So uh, we've mostly been in the context of what this means for our becoming disciples, but think for just a moment, 
on how this relates to making of disciples. Um, Notice ordinary people. (laughs) People wherever they are. People you think, oh, that seems like a long shot. Uh, That's just the kind of people Jesus loves to call. Um, Wherever around the world, wherever in your home, in your neighborhood, notice the people and invite them to follow Jesus. We need to come to the place where we actually uh, give the invite. Words without actions um, are, uh, are, are meaningless, <laughs> but, uh, but actions without words uh, just leaves, leaves the task undone. How will, they, how will they know about the hope in us? They just think, oh, that person's, you know, they're a nice guy, nice lady, but we need to actually give them the invite. And what are we inviting them to? To leave behind the path that they're pursuing, grabbing onto life, to leave that in order to be a follower of Jesus, to come along, uh, dwell with Jesus, mimic Jesus, do what Jesus says. That's what we are inviting people to do. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So we don't gauge our progress in discipleship by the amount of information we know about the Bible, the amount of, um, you know, uh, academic uh, information we have tucked away about theology or spiritual things. We gauge our discipleship by uh, the amount that Jesus has transformed us to be disciple makers. And that's really convicting to me because I spent, you know, time as a formal student (laughs) studying theology, etc. But uh, that's not the gauge. Have I let Jesus transform me to make disciples? That's what the question is we need to ask. Here's my prayer for all of us. We enter the book of Mark this month as, uh, as learning about what it means to follow Jesus. And hopefully, like the disciples, we come out the other end of Mark uh, in, in a few months from now being disciple makers, <laughs> being uh, ready and passionate about changing the world for Christ's sake by telling the whole world about Jesus, the good news about Jesus Christ. So our basic challenge in a nutshell is get serious about following Jesus. That, that's the essence of his invitation is come follow me and I will transform you into someone who makes followers of me. And so let's get serious about following Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, you know this is a message that, that I need that we all need, and that is to, to continually, Lord, help us release our grip on the things that 